Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Wednesday of every month at the Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. These stories were recorded live on June 18th, 2014. The theme was Baroque. Uh, our next storyteller is the podcast producer of this very show. Um, we are excited every time that he uh, sets down the headphones and comes out and tells a story. He is really the man who makes this happen. So I'm happy to introduce him. Please help me in welcoming Ron Doyle. All right, another real big round of applause for Robert and for yourselves. Excellent. I will be editing that in to make it sound like you were more excited to hear from me. Thank you. Uh, I moved to Colorado to attend the University of Colorado at Boulder when I was just a few weeks past my 17th birthday. Uh, and I was a sober virgin with a very devoted girlfriend. Boulder is not the right place for a sober virgin 17-year-old with a very devoted girlfriend. It was a mistake, and I didn't know this. I didn't really know a lot about CU as a school. I didn't realize fully what it was as a party school until I got there. So my freshman year, I stayed faithfully devoted to that girlfriend and my sobriety and my virginity. And then we broke up over the summer after my freshman year, and I... And then I let go, and then I had a good time, and then, and then all hell broke loose. And, uh, and by the end of my sophomore year, I was, I was out of college. I was done. I had dropped out, uh, and I decided to instead get an education on how not to live. And I don't want to paint one of those sad stories of myself where, woe is me, I was, I was, I was a, a, a horrible addict. I was having a fabulous time. I was having so much fun. I was having the time of my life, don't get me wrong. But there came a point after doing this for a couple of years where my friends from college were all starting to graduate. And I was not. I was nowhere near. And I was already $40,000 in debt from the first two years of college. And I was dating a girl uh, at the time who was, she was, she was, my, she was my, uh, my poet. Uh, she was the person that taught me about counterculture, and you know, she would bring me books. You know, she'd bring me James Baldwin and be like, "Read this now," uh, and then let's go smoke pot for 45 hours. That—that uh, that was the sort of person she was, uh, and she had no—you know—she had the drive, she had the desire to learn, but it wasn't that path of graduation and making something more of herself than what that was. So I watched my friends going off, graduating, and sort of growing out of this phase of fun. And here I was, and I was still stuck, and I felt more and more lost, and more and more broke. Uh, and uh, naturally, along the, along the way, because I was not being responsible, I did a great job of getting tickets, not going to court, getting arrested for a warrant, not going to court, that sort of thing. You get the idea, right? You know, you, the what you do, what you do when you're getting an education on how not to live. I was getting a master's on how not to live. Uh, and eventually there came a point where I needed to 
serve some community service hours. And I had just met this fellow at a party who had spent the entire night telling me about this school he worked for. It was an at-risk school for kids in Boulder, and everyone at the school was court-ordered to be there. These were kids who had been kicked out, had been marginalized, uh, were not going to graduate, and this school was helping change them. And they were taking them all the way from that, from that point of, of the bottom, and, and bringing them up to where a condition of graduation from the school was you had to be admitted into college. And this, you know, this was your typical Boulder party, keg party, but I sat in a bedroom with this guy all night just talking to him, and I was completely enamored with the idea of this, that it was going to change. And I felt like, okay, this is the thing. So, so he graciously gave me the opportunity to serve my 24 hours of community service with them. And uh, I helped out in their computer lab. I, I helped set it up. And then it, it very quickly turned into a thing. Uh, and because this was a tiny little charter school, they had the opportunity to give me a job as a teacher and I didn't have to have a college degree. They knew that the, dire the director of studies and the headmaster, he, he saw something in me and he knew I had potential. He knew I was bright but I was lost. So then I had this job. I had the coolest job in the world. I was saving kids. I, I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. I was saving children from the streets. I really was. We would go pick them up out of the streets and bring them and I would teach them trigonometry. That's what I did and oh my God, it was great. And it paid $900 a month because I didn't have a college degree and they could get away with that. And I wanted to be there and they knew it. So I needed another, another job. And at this point, I'm also in this process of transforming myself and I'm trying to clean myself up and I'm trying to change. So I, need, I needed a job that would keep me away from the phone. I needed a job that would keep me at home so I could devote myself to this new life I, was, I, I had. So, so I did what, what folks did back then. I went to the classified ads. There was. Remember those? Oh. I don't honestly believe that classified ads died because of the internet or because of Craigslist. They died because of the way they make you feel when you look at the classified ads. It's all, you just feel broke and desperate. It's the desperation that you feel when you are looking in, the, in those ads that made them die. But I found a job. It said work from home, work on the phone, uh, up to $60 an hour. And I said, okay, this sounds way too good to be true, but I'm going to check it out. I'm going to find out. So I called, uh, spoke with someone, and I found out the job was working as a tarot card reader for Miss Cleo's Psychic Friends Network. <laughs> now, remember the girlfriend I was telling you about? She had been giving me an education on astrology and the tarot. So I had been doing this a lot because remember, I'm lost. So I'm sitting all day long doing this anyway. I'm giving tarot card readings to everyone I know. I am doing it for myself on a daily basis. I am a master at this. I am ready for this job. So I sign up, bring it on. They mailed me my scripts. I'm ready to go. And the way this job works is they would call in. I would call in on my home phone line. Remember those? Do people still have landlines? I'd call in on my landline and I would type in a little key code and it would capture my phone. And, and then I would just sit around and wait for the phone to ring. And when the phone rang, I would pick it up and I would try and keep this person on the line for five minutes or more. 
Because if you recall, do you, do you guys remember Miss Cleo? Call me now. I just figured out that you're pregnant and I'm on the telephone. Call me now. Miss Cleo was hot shit. At the time that I signed up with Miss Cleo, she was the biggest thing on late night television. She was enormous. She was making a billion dollars a year. So I believed this. I was like, I'm gonna make some money with Miss Cleo. But the, the fact is, I didn't get paid unless I kept them on the line for more than five minutes. Because remember, the first five minutes is always free. Call me now. Uh, so I would have to, I had a script of things that I would try and do to keep people on the line. And most of the phone calls that I got went about like this. Hello, uh, thank you for calling uh, Miss Cleo's Psychic Friends Network. I want to make sure to let you know that I am not actually a psychic. I am a tarot card reader. Could you please give me your first name and your date of birth? And then the person would immediately respond with, what am I wearing right now? You're not a psychic. Click. And then I would have to sit and wait for the phone to ring again. And you, you imagine, this is a network of thousands of people that are doing the same job. These, these same people just like me who are broke and sitting around. They can't afford to actually go out or they don't want to go out. So there are lots of people working for Ms. Cleo at this point. So there could be, it could pass a significant amount of time before I got another call. I would work, at six, I would work six hour shifts at night after my job teaching all day. Uh, and on some nights, I would only get five or six calls. After about three or four days of this, they had realized they had some sort of algorithm so they could pay attention to if I was actually doing the job and I was staying involved and I was doing a little better. So they would start routing more calls to me and the call frequency got a little better. And uh, by the end of the first week, I started getting the other kind of main call that I would get from folks, which was the lonely elderly folks who just needed somebody to talk to. And that was great. Uh, I felt really good about that because this is sort of me getting to do what I, you know, the things I care about. This is part of this whole plan of me helping and saving people. I got to feel really good about talking to those folks uh, and making them not feel so alone. Uh, but I would inevitably with those folks, I would always cut the call short. And I'd say, I'd say you know, uh, it's, it's been really great talking to you. Here's my, here's my, num my direct line. Call me back tomorrow. But we're going to cut this short tonight because I don't, you know, don't want to cost you a million dollars just because we're shooting the shit uh, with, on Miss Cleo's Psychic Friends Network. Uh, and then I did this for, an, I only did this for two weeks because the last call I got was from a fellow. He was in his early 20s. He was totally broke and he was desperate, and he was looking for an answer for his life. It was like I had called myself on the phone and said, what the hell do I do? And, and I don't remember his name, and I don't remember the exact circumstances of his situation, and I don't remember the exact tarot card reading, but I do remember two cards. The first card was the Hanged Man, and for those of you who don't know tarot, the Hanged Man is, is a picture of a man hanging upside down, he's bound at the feet, he's hanging from his feet, his hands are tied behind his back, and he's blindfolded. And it's, it is classically the card of someone who is stuck. The other card was the Eight of Wands. And the Eight of Wands, is, it's just a blue sky with, with eight sticks, wands, uh, flying through the air. Uh, yeah, right? They are, it's sticks, wands. Uh, flying through the air, and, and it's supposed to be the, the card that it doesn't really mean anything other than something is going to change. 
But when I looked at the cards and they were sitting right next to each other, there was another, I, I couldn't help but keep thinking, the way it really looked to me was that the wands looked like arrows shooting at this hanged man that was trapped. And I thought, what the fuck am I doing with myself? And at that moment, I decided that I couldn't do this anymore and that I'd much rather be broke. I, I'd rather just deal with it and, and devote myself to this. Uh, and instead, I, I, I felt like, okay, I've got to change something. So instead, I just went back to school. Uh, and, and I spent all that time that I was wasting on, on Miss Cleo on actually getting an education and finishing my college degree. About 90 days after my last day on the job with Miss Cleo's uh, Psychic Friends Network, I got a check in the mail. After taxes, I made about $8 and change, <laughs> which was beautiful and great. For me, I, I discovered that being broke isn't so bad. It's, it's better to be broke than to be lost. Thanks. Our next storyteller, uh, she's another uh, favorite of the show. She's been on a couple times. We are happy to have her back. She does improv at the Madcap Theater, and she also just started doing a monthly comedy show called The Great Shake'em Ups at the Deer Pile. You can look that up. You need to do it. Please help me welcoming Haley Driscoll. Great. Hi, guys. Hope there's someone who'll take care of me when I die, where'll I go? Hope there's someone who'll set my heart free Nice to hold when I'm tired. Oh, I'm scared of the middle place between life and nowhere. I don't want to be the one left in there, left in there. This dress is the dress I wore every single New Year's of my college career. A lot of parties. A lot of parties. This is also the dress I was wearing when I permanently got my hip fractured from a sexual assault the day after I graduated college. College Haley can be best described as a eccentric, enthusiastic, party animal slash workaholic. I did it all. I was, I thought I was the best actor in my entire theater troupe. I thought I was the best actor in Colorado. I thought I was the best actor in the world. Um, I was the shit. I was so funny at parties. <laughs> Everybody invited me to their parties, and I ruled. Uh, um, I had a kind of a big head, maybe. 
and that uh, my my freshman year, I met my first serious boyfriend, and uh, we met at a party, and he saw me partying it up. I was the center of attention, just being the biggest asshole there. <laughs> I was making jokes and making fun of everybody I could see. Um, and he saw that and he was proud of me. And he wanted, he wanted me for him. <laughs> and I loved how proud he was of me. And we dated for three years. In that time, my party animal self grew and grew, and my head grew and grew. I was cast as all the leads, <laughs> invited to all the parties. Um, and eventually, me and my first serious boyfriend, we wanted to party more. We started doing more drugs. We started drinking a lot every day, every night. And then we started to sleep with other people together. We were, it was, we were, Doing college, the most you could possibly do college. <laughs> and then eventually, two and a half years in, I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't want to do drugs and drink every day and bang everybody in Boulder till I was 40. So I broke up with him. What I should have done was been myself, went and become the actor that I thought I was. Instead, I hopped into one of the most abusive <laughs> relationships of my life. I met a fantastic Greek Orthodox young man who thought he could save me because I was living a life of sin, and I felt like it. I totally felt like it. I was just, I wasn't proud of all the things that I had done. I looked back at my college career and I'm not gonna tell my kids about that. So I met Mr. Greek Orthodox, knight in shining armor. He rushed in. This was my senior year of college and I was ready to get my whole life back together. And he, made me believe that he accepted all of me, just the whole package. Past, future, present. I never felt so instantaneously good about somebody. And then about five months in, he tells me, if I want this to keep being as good as it is, I need to convert to Greek Orthodoxy. And then he began telling me that my best friend who had committed suicide in high school was in hell. But at that time, being in a relationship with him, I had completely ostracized all my party friends because they were now sinners and I didn't want to have anything to do with them. So I was completely alone, completely alone. And then on New Year's, we were still together. I was very confused reading all the books on Greek Orthodoxy that I could find. On New Year's, I wore this dress to 
the party we went to, and he just couldn't take it. It was too sexy. It reminded him of when I used to be myself to a degree, and he broke up with me. And it felt like my connection to God felt like God broke up with me. Like the only close experience I had with somebody who really cared about God. And all my friends were gone. And I didn't really talk to my family at the time. I was completely alone. Except for one person, Brian Herwick. He called me up the day after I graduated and asked if I wanted to party like the old days. And I said, fuck it, yes. <laughs> I'd love to party like the old days, please. Please, anything. If anybody will hang out with me. And we went out and we had a great time. But I knew it still wasn't what I wanted. And he offered me the drugs that we used to take all the time when I was dating my first boyfriend. I said no. And that didn't go over very well. So he brought me back a drink and I immediately became more fucked up than I've ever been in my entire life, second drink in. And I remember just going in and out of ragdoll consciousness. A police officer found me in a construction site the next morning in this dress. I had bruises and cuts everywhere. She got me in to the office just in time to do everything we needed to do to get him into the police as soon as possible. But I didn't tell anybody about it for about a month. And the way I told everybody about it was attempting suicide in my apartment. I was too guilty to tell anybody about it. I thought I deserved it. I thought that God had left. Both of my boyfriends had left. All my friends had left and my family. But my best friend Cheryl found me in the apartment and we vowed to take care of ourselves <laughs> from that day on, to take care of ourselves. My favorite quote from Rumi 
the wound is where the light shines. You decide if you're broken. You don't have to be what breaks you. Thank you. The Narrator's Podcast is recorded and produced by Ron Doyle. The Narrator's Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl, or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about the narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to thenarratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <laughs>